Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I just wanted to update listeners on the book I've written. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It is either released or going to be released, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. The release date's roughly about the third week of September. It's on Amazon. It's on Cedar Fort. Um, the Kindle version is available now on Amazon. If you want to read the book right now, you can go to Amazon. I'm really pleased with all of you that are ordering the book. The Kindle version is currently the number one new release in LDS books at Amazon and number eight in current books in the LDS Church at Amazon. So I appreciate all you listeners that are um, buying the book, um, inviting others to buy the book, and and please um, check it out at Amazon. You can just put in my name, Richard Osler, at Amazon, or listen, learn, and love at Amazon, and the book will come up. Um, my guest on today's podcast is my friend Jeff Derricott. Is that your last name? Yeah, Correct? that's right, yeah. We've been visiting for quite a while, and I never asked Jeff how to pronounce his last <laughs> name, so I lucked out. Let me just um, give you a bio on Jeff. He is 26 years old. He's a gay Latter-day Saint. He grew up in Bountiful, went to Bountiful High, went to Brigham, served a mission in the Lansing, Michigan mission. I think of summer days in that part of the world and what a beautiful place that is. <laughs> I don't amazing. try to think of the wintertime there. <laughs> um, Jeff graduated in April of 2019 with a degree in civil engineering at BYU. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends together. We spent a bunch of time um, looking at our mutual friends. Some are um, people that we're both connected to in the LGBT community, but a lot of people in a broader community. Jeff is wired into a lot of uh, different communities and is really loved by lots of people. Many of you listening will know Jeff and maybe hearing for the first time the story of a gay Latter-day Saint. Jeff offered the prayer before we um, came on board, and it's our joint prayer that I'll do a good job of getting Jeff to share his story. He has a wonderful story. Um, Jeff's plan is to marry a man um, and maintain his relationship with heavenly parents, and we'll talk about how he got to that point. As our listeners know, I invite everybody to follow the teachings of our church and stay in the church, but I recognize the reality of of life for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and some will choose a path um, not being able to fully participate in the church. And I'd like to share those stories because um, it gives hope perhaps for others that are suicidal and feel like there's no path forward. It also gives um, perspective for people that are in the church or LDS parents that have an LGBTQ child to know how to navigate this space. And I sometimes talk about there's lots of ways to live life, life sort of off the covenant path or some are more responsible than others. And Jeff has decided to do the very best job he can with a set of circumstances he's been dealt with. And I've learned also to extend, expend kindness and compassion and love to people like Jeff, because I think it keeps them more connected to God is, and more connected to making better decisions. And Jeff wants to be in a monogamous relationship and do the very best can in his life. And so I'm honored to have Jeff on the, on the podcast to share his story. 
Anything that I've said from a bio standpoint, Jeff, that I missed? I think you covered most of it. We may as well just end now. <laughs> I'm teasing. No, thank you. That was really sweet of you. Jeff is also involved in HEFY. We've had a couple of kids go on HEFY, wonderful organization. We've had a son go to Peru, a son go to Samoa, and probably another kid goes somewhere with HEFY. I've <laughs> lost track, but that's a wonderful organization. I just sense that Jeff has uh, had a life of helping people and will continue to help people. Jeff has a wonderful family. He's out to um, parents and siblings and a close group of friends. But let's let's talk about um, let's talk about your mission and just if if it's okay to start there. Just you decided to come out to your mission president. Tell us the story of the pearls that led to you coming out to your mission president. Yeah. So I was. Uh, eight months into my mission, I was an eager, fire in the soul, young district leader. And I had known for quite some time that I was gay, but at that time I considered myself to experience same-sex attraction. And I remember at eight months, I was with my new greenie. He was only out about two weeks at the time. And we were at this zone conference and the AP at the time, he was telling the story that I'm sure most of us have heard. It's about the the young girl talking with her dad and the dad wants to give her a gift, but he can only give her a gift if she gives him her plastic pearls that were her favorite thing. And well, long story short, she ends up giving those away and the dad gives her a string of real pearls, right? And so the whole conference was focused on like trading something of little value for the most important thing and becoming super pure and just... Christ-like. And I considered at that point that being gay or experiencing same-sex attraction was like the most evil part of my soul. And I needed to rid myself of it. And I never told any of my church leaders, my parents knew at the time, um, but I didn't tell anyone else. And so I remember right after that zone conference, I went up to my, my mission president and I said, Hey, President Hess, we got to, <laughs> we got to go meet. And we met in this, um, one of the stake offices at the church building we were at. And I said, hey, I, I feel like I need to tell you this. I experienced same-sex attraction. And he just said, okay. And have you done anything? Is everything okay? Do you want to stay here? And I said, I haven't done anything. I think everything's okay. And I, I love my mission. I want to stay here. And he said, okay. And we had a good conversation, and that was, but that was basically it. Um, and so we just kept going and I, I continued to stay on my mission and I loved my mission and it was the most, uh, just profoundly life-changing experience because it was the, the experience that helped me to develop a, an authentic relationship with God and realize that my journey in life is, is just me and him. And the church is a wonderful and beautiful vehicle to provide a relationship with God and with deity, but it's a vehicle. The church isn't the end but rather it's a means. And I was grateful to have church leaders and a mission president to help me see that. And so that was kind of my mission experience in a nutshell. And that was the first time I had ever come out to someone as well. And um, Jeff told me before the podcast, because I asked specifically, he's too modest, but he did have increasingly a more responsible leadership assignments. And I think that's a sign that the mission president um, didn't see at that time, Elder Derricott, any different 
because he had come out to him. He didn't sort of say, well, I can't trust you or I've got to keep my eye on you in a negative way, but he just trusted you and saw you for your ability to bring people to Christ and help the other missionaries. Yeah, and that was really, I think, pivotal. Looking back in the moment, I was just concerned about the fact that I had told someone. But for him to respond in that way, just with love, and then reaffirming his trust in me, and I think also God's trust in me, was exactly what I needed to have enough stability to like carry on to the next phase of and next chapter of my life, which was the post-mission chapter, you know. Talk about your mindset um, with your SSA as you flew home out of Detroit, Lansing. <laughs> yeah, and, so flew from Lansing to Detroit and then to Salt Lake. Um, tell us, our listeners, your mindset about where SSA was in your life. Yeah, um, well, I was <laughs> convinced I was going to get off that plane and probably three weeks later marry a girl that I had been best friends with all through high school. And I thought that was sort of like the the plan that God wanted me to to fulfill, but came home and about two weeks later, I realized that this was still going to be a thing on my mission. I thought God had just cured me of it because it wasn't an issue. I, I I'd lived the principle of locking your heart away and just never really had any issues and didn't care to pursue any relationship with anyone. Why? Because I was, I was a missionary, but, um, yeah, a couple of weeks after I got home, that's when I realized, okay, this is this is still here. Um, but I was grateful because I had, I think, some tools that my mission gave me that allowed me to kind of humble myself and decide that I wanted to figure this out. So I, I had seen a therapist before my mission that my parents had recommended to me, and but this time I, I decided to go on my own volition and start kind of figuring this out. I wasn't really sure of what my path would be at that time, but I, I knew that whatever relationship I was going to have, whether that was with a man or a woman, and at the time I was convinced it was with a woman, that I needed to figure this out and I needed to be ready to address the fact that I was experiencing same-sex attraction or was gay. Talk about, did you date women? You're at BYU now, I assume, as you came home from your mission, you're in Provo at BYU. Talk about, did you date women? Yeah, so I, um, I like most uh, young male singles at BYU, dated a lot, and I did date a lot. I, um, I didn't have tons of incredibly serious relationships. I, I'd had a lot of relationships that would go about a month, and I'd hit a wall where it just something wasn't working, and I, I knew I couldn't pro- progress the relationship any longer. And I thought that was oh, the, this girl isn't the right one. But then I started to see a pattern that maybe maybe it's me. And um, But I did date a lot. Um, I ended up dating, I think, more than more girls than a number of my straight friends dated while they were at BYU. And um, so that was a positive experience. Met a lot of really incredible people. But it just got to a point where it just wasn't working how I had hoped or expected it to. Talk more about that. Talk about hitting the wall. Yeah, I think um, in dating, we're familiar with the game, right? And that's intriguing and energizing to anyone. And so I thought because I felt sort of the excitement about the game and the intrigue of novelty, that that was like a good enough sign for me. Like, okay, I can make it work for a girl. And so I'd court a girl, you know, and we'd become friends and then go on a few casual dates and we'd get to a point where it's like, okay, do we want to 
start dating or so. And I would just hit this barrier. And, you know, once you start getting to where you need to cross the, the touch barrier, <laughs> that's when my mind sort of kind of reached the end of its road. And I just didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know what to do with my hands or my lips and like all these other things. And um, I, I just would then always like take a step back and think, okay, well, I'll just find someone else. I haven't found the perfect one yet because I, I kept looking for the perfect girl. And I kept telling God, hey, I, I am gay on the inside, but I'm going to marry a girl but she better be perfect and hit the bar in all these different ways, you know? And so I kept looking for that. And I think it was really easy for me to then just put most of my relationships aside. What caused you, is the door closed to dating women? And I assume it is if you want to marry men. What finally happened to say I've dated enough women and I just don't, that next step just doesn't ever happen to me because it, Obviously, it seems like you're in this stage where you were saying it's just not the right woman. I'll continue to date and date and find her because there's lots of people that date a lot of people and then they find one. And um, so what kind of happened there that you recognize this this wall that I can't get past, I'll never get past? <clears throat> yeah, that's a really good question. Um in 2018 fall yeah fall of 2018 it was august i had just returned from this incredible research trip i was in italy in the alps of italy in these teeny little mountain villages doing this wow. like, incredible research uh, i was working with a professor who used drones to take pictures of earthquake or uh, landscapes after being affected by earthquakes and so I, me and my research partners were all up there flying drones in the mountains of Italy. And it was just one of the most amazing experiences. And is that part of your civil engineering to understand earthquakes and just... Yeah. So the civil engineers, part of the, what they do is earthquake engineering. And so I was involved with a professor that was heavily involved with that. And I loved my major, by the way. A side note, uh, civil engineering was the best. And I, I wouldn't change it for the world because it, it just provided me with a, a network of really awesome people and experiences. And I, I kind of got to this point right after that trip where I thought, gosh, my life is perfect. I have the most coveted job in <laughs> the research de uh, departments at, uh, civil, uh, in the or the most coveted research position in the civil engineering department. And I was doing really well in most of my classes. And I was actually close friends with most of the professors in the department. Cool. Um, and I had this awesome support group of friends in my major and I just felt like things were going my way. And then I started applying for classes for my, my last year at BYU. And I started to ask the questions, okay, what do I want to do after I graduate? Do I want to go to grad school? Do I want to uh, go get a job first? Which direction do I want to take my degree? Yada, yada, yada. And I realized that I thought I'd be asking these questions with my wife. Um, and that kind of was a daunting realization that even though my life was awesome, it actually wasn't going according to the plan that I had laid out as a, a young deacon, teacher, and priest, and then as a missionary. And so then I started to ask the question, well, gosh, am I ever going to find a wife? I mean, I've, I've actually dated a number of girls and it's just not really working out. Like, will I ever have a nuclear family? And I sort of started to spiral. 
Um, and I became kind of really upset uh, with the, the state of my life in a really short amount of time going from my life is perfect to my life is hopeless. Um, and I became pretty bitter at God, I think, for a little bit. Um, and I, I sort of told him, okay, I've been doing this for 24 years and it looks like you're not upholding your end of the bargain. And so God, you need to kind of go hang out over there and I'm just going to go over here and do my own thing for a little bit. Um, so that was kind of the experience that, that led me to start like to, to start dating guys and to stop dating girls, or at least slow down on the, on dating girls. If that answers your question. It does. Talk about, I ask a lot of our guests about suicide. Talk to about your journey with suicide. Yeah. So after I had that, um, kind of experience where I was like, okay, God, you need to go hang out over there and I need to figure this out. The next few months were easily some of the, I think the darkest and most depressing months of my life. Um, I, I didn't feel like I had a lot of identity in my straight and church community um, because no one knew the real me and no one could ever know the real me. Cause if they did, well, gosh, I'd be ruined. Right. And then I didn't really have any identity in the gay community either. Um, a lot of the guys that I was going on dates with down in Provo, they, they just wanted a lifestyle that I wasn't ready for or even wanted, or I wasn't in that position at all. And so I just felt really isolated. Um, and being so alone, that's when I started to feel just zero motivation to get out of bed. And I started to get to a point where I, I felt like I was on the precipice of, um, or I, I guess I just started to see that, you know what, no pathway forward really seems exciting to me. Marrying a girl, well, that sounds like torture right now, but marrying a guy, well, that feels like I have to just like throw away my relationship with God, which I don't want to do. Even though I was putting God on hold, I didn't, I didn't hate God. I just was trying to figure some things out. And so when I started to feel like there was no hope forward, that's when I started to get to a point of maybe thinking that my life would be better if it was over. Um, and that was really tough. I never attempted suicide, but I definitely got to the point where I saw how easy it would be for me to get to that position. Um, I think when you take away hope from anybody, I mean, their, their drive for life and, uh, so, and feeling of self-worth is just taken out from under them. And then it's just easy to slip down that path of, well, maybe I should just end things. Thanks for being so honest about that, Jeff. Talk about kind of the low time. So August 2018, you're coming home from Italy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of an earthquake junkie. Okay. <laughs> um, in the sense, I'm very interested in the science behind earthquakes and hurricanes and all sorts of, and I'm aware there's been some big ones in Italy. Mm -hmm. So what a great place to study um, that. And anyway, you're coming back and talk about when the low was. Was it, what just the time frame? Um, so it was probably October. That was when it really was the lowest. I remember 
I was in this teeny little house with five other guys, <laughs> one bathroom, by the way, and um, right by BYU's uh, campus, right by the LSB. And I would stand out there just in front of that house, looking up at campus so many times and just feeling like I couldn't talk to anybody. And I couldn't really talk to my parents at that time because they had known that I was gay or experiencing same-sex attraction since the time I was 16. But I had told them up to this point that, no, I'm going to marry a girl. Like, yeah, it's apples or oranges. Like, I've got this in the bag. I'm I'm good, guys. You know, I, I'll figure this out. Um, and I didn't feel like I could talk to my friends. And I hadn't told any of my friends. And I couldn't talk to my siblings. And so I just started to go into a shell. And I just distanced myself from a lot of people. And I just remember one night standing outside of my house looking at the LSB um, it was probably around 10 o'clock at night and my brother called me and my brother and I, um, were really close now, but this was during a time when we weren't as close cause I, I just wasn't very open with him. And he called me and was asking me all these questions about girls I was dating. And I was just putting up this wall and just not really being responsive. And I got off the phone with him and I just, I just felt just so alone and I had no idea who I could go turn to. Um, and in the back of my mind, I felt like, gosh, maybe I need to just like talk to God a little bit more, but I was still a little bit angry at him because my life hadn't worked out perfectly. It hadn't worked out the way I'd expected. Um, so I think that was honestly the lowest moment. And that's when I, uh, and I don't know if your, if your question was how I got through it. Um, but that's kind of what the experience was of just kind of shutting down and burying myself in thoughts of shame and self-doubt and convincing myself that no one would love me if they ever knew the real me. Um, and that I would only experience a, a shimmera or just a facade of happiness in my life. And I never would be able to have real joy unless I find the perfect girl and this perfect, have this perfect family. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the characteristics of my lowest moment. Thanks for being so honest with that because I, some listeners are in that moment right now and they need to hear what comes next in your story. I, I'm going to read a quote, but I love your word hope. And when hope is taken out of the equation and you're looking at that building at 10 o'clock at night and you've lost hope for the first time in your life, that can lead to a really difficult spot. Mm-hmm. This is um, a quote I read it's in the book. Everything I read is in the book. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to sell books too much in this podcast. <laughs> All the proceeds are going to a charity. But anyway, Brene Brown, which is social scientist, has said not belonging or physiological isolation is the most terrifying and destructive feeling a person can experience. It's not the same as being alone. It's a feeling one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and powerless to change the situation. In the extreme, psychological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. People who do do almost anything to escape the combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. So Mm. that's the best quote I've ever heard to describe where you are at this moment. Mm. Um, And so... Yeah, gosh, that's so powerful. I love that. But just you're powerless to change the situation too. You're totally. locked out of all these possibilities. and There's no not, avenue you can take. And let's not forget that your commitment to, to do the right thing. You've gave up two years of your life. 
um, you're doing everything you know how mm-hmm. to make this this hope you've always had since a little kid become reality and, and it's outside of your control to make happen and powerless to do anything. I think um, if I might add too, I, I think being in the closet, um, you end up not feeling very satisfied, right? And validated from things that are typical validators. And so I, like a lot of uh, other gay members of the church or other L- uh, members in the LGBT community, we end up overcompensating. And so at that time, r- right prior to this, uh, or to my kind of low moment, my friends knew me as sort of this like Nazi perfectionist in so many ways and kind of like untouchable and like achievement in, in some things. I mean, maybe I'm painting myself in a bad light and they would be like, no, no, Jeff, you're, you're crazy. But I would wake up every morning at 525 would say my prayers, make my bed by 5.30. I'd do scripture study for 25 minutes. Then I'd run to the gym, be there for 55 minutes, run back, have breakfast, get ready, be on campus by 8.15 every morning, and then do schoolwork for the next 12 hours. And then I'd hang out with my friends on the weekend. And it was that exact same schedule, just so rigid and just perfect. Because I felt like if I can control that, then I can control anything. And um, I think that is... I thought that was unique in my experience, but there's a lot of other members of the gay community that we end up trying so hard in other aspects of our lives um, to find some sort of validation because we have the fear that no one's going to love us for who we really are. Um, And so I was hiding behind that for a really long time. And I just built this thick wall uh, and just a facade of who I think, who I thought I should be should is a terrible word (laughs) and um, I'm trying to eradicate it from my vocabulary, but I think that that's what's really hard at that point when you get so low and you know that you've got this big thing, this big secret that you're carrying and bringing those walls down, it takes time and it is a hard process, Um, but it's possible. That's for sure. And it's, it's possible to find hope. And like Brene Brown said, you are conde- you do kind of condemn yourself to isolation. But for those that are listening that maybe are in that experience right now of feeling like that there isn't a pathway forward with hope, I promise that there is. I've been so reassured of that so many times and that the love of God is, is honestly just so powerful and infinite. And that word infinite is, means something new to me, I think, in the past little bit. What a great insight into your what was going on with you. Those are good things you were doing. But what a thoughtful insight to recognize that you're overcompensating and we all need to be validated. We all need support. But this part of you that you wanted to go away that wouldn't go away, you know, the source of that insustainability of what you were doing and how that then at 10 o'clock that night sort of was the low point of that sort of crashing down and that's really honest. I hyper hyper religiosity is a term that I don't know if that's what was going on for you, but I've noticed that with some people, um, the LGBTQ Latter Day Saints, um, they become mm-hmm. hyper religious, and um, yeah. and being religious is a good thing, but balance is a better thing. Yeah, exactly. I, de- I think I definitely was sort of in the hyper stage at that time. <laughs> 
I love this other quote by Brene Brown, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming uh, and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And so mm, love that. you're kind of on this transition from fitting in um, and then sort of faced with the reality that's not working mm-hmm. and I can't change that. So I need to belong. Talk about just keep telling your story, Jeff. Yeah. So I was at that really low point in October of 2018 and I honestly just kind of felt numb and I was so close Richard to just dropping out of BYU. (laughs) I was so close. Um, but honestly it was just a miracle and an act of God's grace that just like that I was able to keep going. Um, and so the next couple of months were kind of neutral. I stayed kind of in a low spot, um, but not really having the desire or maybe the courage, I guess, to do anything really to change the state. I just kind of kept the status quo. Um, but I, 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 I guess I did kind of continue to slip into like this, this hole and continue to distance myself from a lot of the people that I think love me the most. Um, but then, um, Towards the end of the year, I ended up meeting someone, uh, another guy that was in a very similar spot that I was at or that I was at. And we started to date kind of casually. And that was paramount in shifting my mindset um, to finally realize that, wait, there's someone else out there that is gay, that doesn't entirely hate the church. And doesn't want to just like, I don't know, party on the weekends. Like what, you know, I, I was just kind of dumbfounded. And so we started to casually date, but I was definitely not in a place where I was ready to have like a serious relationship, but those feelings moved really quickly. And, um, so that relationship, I think, uh, it became really confusing for me to navigate because I didn't really have the experience of having an authentic relationship with the real feelings of like love and intimacy. Um, that most people get in high school. And you've probably heard that a lot from a lot of gays and other members of the LGBTQ community. Like, well, most of their straight counterparts are, you know, exploring relationships in junior high and high school. We're, we're just putting up this wall and becoming the best athlete or the best scholar or whatever, you know, or just numbing ourselves at that point too. Um, and so I didn't really have this experience. So I feel like a 14 year old at, at the age of 24, you know, starting to date and, you know, feeling, that, wow, this is what, this is what like all my friends have been talking about in their relationships. And, um, anyways, that was, that was pivotal. Um, but then January, 2019, I, I had got to a place where I, I wanted to, I wanted to welcome God back into my life a little bit more and kind of reapproach figuring out my life or so, um, at that time. And so, I, and again, I was still up and down all like on the daily. And for those that are going through this, you'll know that some hours there's an hour where you feel great. And then the next hour you're just at the lowest low. And, um, it's just this exhausting roller coaster ride. And there was this point in January where, um, I just was praying and I, um, Prior to this experience, I was convinced that there was two pathways ahead of me. 
And one was marrying a woman and being in the church. And the other path was marrying a man and being atheist. And I just felt that like being faithful and being in the church were, uh, they had to be congruent and that that only would come if I married a woman. And so I was feeling this like real conflict in my soul. Cause I, at this point now I'd experienced this sort of like joy that came from having a relationship with this other guy. Um, and I just remember feeling and realizing that there are more than two pathways ahead of me. Um, that there was a third option and that was just choosing God and just choosing the savior. Um, and that wasn't saying you're going to marry a man or you're going to marry a woman, but Hey, just choose to have faith. So it was kind of like the, the first, uh, I, I guess prior to January, 2019, I was like Jeff 1.0. And after January, 2019 was the, the birth of Jeff 2.0. Um, and Jeff 2.0 started to ask real questions and have he started to apply the gospel principles into his life for the, I think the first time um, I had to actually have faith uh, because there was a lot of things I didn't have answers to. Um, and I still don't have answers to. And so since January, 2019, I've been on this pathway of renavigating and rebuilding my relationship with God. And I think a much more honest and open way. And that has made all the difference. And um, that that is what set me up for a lot of experiences over the next few months and year and a half that have allowed me to feel hope and uh, to some sort a confidence about the direction that I'm going. I love I love this journey of yours to just see there were two these two paths and your spiritual maturity to just recognize. Um, I don't want that path, the path that includes no belief in God. And I just think that's a credit to you. And I, I recognize for LGBTQ members, there's not a lot of owner's materials for you. We don't have a lot of owner's <laughs> guides and lessons. And There is no manual. <laughs> there's no manual. And of course, and so I, I think the manual is personal revelation and exactly. staying close to heavenly parents. Share with some of the personal revelation you received, um, particularly about you being gay, um, and would you and would you take that if that could be taken from you at this point? Would would you want that taken from you? Yeah. So after I had this experience in January, I started realizing that okay, I've got I've got a lot of things to figure out about myself. Um, I started going to a therapist in March. This is my second time going through therapy. Um, but this, uh, th particular therapist, um, she was great and not necessarily an LGBTQ therapist, just someone to work through typical challenges with. And that uh, created an, envir an environment in my life where I started to do some real heavy soul searching. Um, and I remember going through this experience during one of my therapy sessions and looking at like the expanse that my life was and realizing that there was a lot more negative things in my life besides the fact that I 
was feeling that that I have to carry this this being gay. Um, there was a lot of other things that I was dealing with too, in my family and friends and and whatnot. And I just felt really tired. And I just felt like, gosh, I didn't feel hopeless, but I just felt like, wow, there's a lot here. And I remember just having this experience where there's no way to really describe it other than I just felt like I was sort of crouched down like, or my soul was like crouched down and, you know, crawled up into the corner of my mind and um, feeling like there was no real like direction forward, you know, and I just had this like really clear and powerful experience of just like feeling the savior come and lift me from that position and just walk me forward. And, um, it's hard to describe experiences like that, but that was, um, really eye-opening and it helped me because I, I started to see that the savior, he's not just, he's not just a good idea. He's a real person. Um, and he lifted me and, um, that was really, um, it changed my perspective on being gay because I felt the love of the savior so strongly in my life and the power of the atonement. I realized wasn't there to take the gay away power of the atonement was there to heal my wounded soul. And I, for so long had thought, gosh, God, and I'd asked God to take this away from me. But after that experience, I sort of looked back on my life and I saw that all of the really tough things that I had experienced in life with being gay and um, all the hiding that I felt like I had to do, um, it actually kind of changed me and (laughs) expedited my growth in some ways to where I became a person that I actually liked who I was and I liked uh, some of the attributes in my character. And so then I, I started to realize that if God were to come down right at that moment and say, Hey, Jeff, I'll take this away from you. I would tell him no, because this was the the proving grounds of the experience that had given me my relationship with him at that moment. And if I wouldn't have been experiencing this, then I wouldn't have been able to have that experience with the Savior. And I wouldn't have had this now desire to like have this authentic and genuine relationship with my Heavenly Father and my Heavenly Parents. Um, and that was huge for me to feel and to realize because I had never thought that before. And since then, I've, I just feel excited about this. I feel like this is an opportunity that, yeah, there's this unforged pathway that not a lot of guys or girls have taken of trying to maintain some sort of faith connection with God and deity, but also reconciling the fact that you're gay or lesbian. And, um, and I just feel excited to kind of walk down this path now because I feel the savior beside me and some may not agree with that <laughs> or believe that, but that's been made so abundantly clear to me. And I just have no doubt that that he loves us and that the purpose of his sacrifice wasn't to remove this and to make me fit a mold that 
I think we sort of expect. But the purpose of his sacrifice is to help us to become like him. And that might look differently for each of us in this existence, in this experience. It's one of the finest segments that's been on these podcasts. Thank you, Jeff. I'm just personally deeply touched by that personal journey of revelation and self-acceptance and self-love and how maybe the best version of that when it comes via um, a relationship with our Heavenly Parents and the power of the Atonement. Um, I can't think of a better source to find self-love and and accept who you are. I mean, it helps when we're going to talk about your family and your friends in a minute and how helpful that is, but to have that part of your journey as divine children of heavenly parents. Talk about the shame and self-loathing that then leaves you when you get to the spot you just described. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> I think the battle of shame and never... Maybe that's <laughs> maybe true. Maybe it doesn't necessarily leave. Um, but I will say this. Um, I think uh, whether you're in the church or out of the church, if you're gay um, or lesbian, I, I guess I can't necessarily speak for everyone in the LGBTQ community, and I can only speak for a handful of people that are in the gay community. But um, I feel that the fear of shame... And the avoidance of shame is uh, probably one of the greatest motivating factors for um, gay men. And it definitely was for me. I, I just wanted to be perfect in everything. And I had to be the best in everything. I had to have the highest goals. And I had to like always kind of like one up all my siblings and all my friends and whatnot. I'm surprised that they even wanted to still be my friend after a few years of knowing me. And um, when I got to that point though of, kind of accepting myself and not feeling like I was throwing up a white flag, but proactively just choosing to love myself and choosing to accept that like, this is me and this is the pathway I'm going. Um, there was a lot of shame that left at that point um, because I recognized it wasn't something I could change. And if you can put that aside the like the, the the drive to just change yourself there are so many doors that are going to open up and um i think i still am now battling like the repercussions of feeling that like intense shame or fear of shame for so long um but i think i am lucky because i, I i've been giving i've been given a perspective of um like you said just like self love and that has definitely come through a revelation from my heavenly parents and from the savior and from the spirit so i don't know if that answers your question a little bit that's great talk about the need to get a a net you've been walking this road alone talk about the next phase of your journey which is to sort of get a net of close friends and family around you so you start to come out Yeah. So once I sort of grew to that stage of being a little bit more comfortable with who I was, not knowing what my pathway forward was again, I hadn't, so this was March, 2019. Um, I hadn't even told myself like, yeah, I want to marry a man someday. I was like, no, I'm gay. And that's just that. I, I don't know what that means for my 40 year plan or whatnot, but today I'm gay. I want to date guys but I also like want to still be me and love God and the church and whatnot. And so when I was at that place of accepting myself in the moment 
and accepting myself on like a day-to-day basis and not really worrying about um, the 40-year decision and the 30-year decision or the 40-million-year decision, um, that's when I decided I was going to start telling my siblings and a lot of my friends. Um, I had previously come out to only one of my friends, and I was really lucky to have his support. Um, He was the only person I could talk to, and that is a scary thing. Taking the initial steps to come out to people who know you so well or they think they know you so well and then you drop this bomb on them um i i was lucky to have really good friends and especially that um that initial friend that i came out to he he was he was awesome he's as straight as can be and just like was right there with me that's cool um and so in august of 2019 i was in a place where i i knew i wanted to tell my siblings and so I told all of my siblings and it was really kind of a, a spiritual experience every time I told someone because this was such an important thing to me. And it no longer was this like scary and dark and evil thing. It was, hey, I, I, I'm carrying this and I care about you and our relationship and I want you to know where I'm at. Um, and that opened up the doors to so many relationships that I had closed or distanced for so long. Um, and so I'd encourage anyone that is in that stage of feeling like you can't tell anyone, be the one to, to take a step and try it. There are going to be people that don't understand and it takes effort and it takes a lot of courage, but I would, I'd highly recommend to anybody to kind of figure out a, a support system and like get that net. Um, and I was lucky to have a few people and experiences in my life that really were nets that caught me from just slipping into a really dark abyss. And that I love your visual imagery of a net. Um, I'm thinking of a net for trapeze, if that's the right term. Uh-huh, so exactly. I, I'm thinking of nets in a very positive way as a way to catch me, you know, before something bad happens. And I recognize I'm back to your night. I think you said October at 10 o'clock looking at that building. There's no net there. Um, and you're so alone and that hope is gone. And, I just love your personal journey to develop a net and recognizing that there's a lot of people that love you, Jeff. And, but if, you know, and you're just confidence in yourself enough to say, I need to bring them in my circle and I need to have them part of my safety net because they want to love me and they want to help me and they don't know how to help me. They're probably asking me who I'm going to date next and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And now to sort of know your journey. So it sounds like your family, talk about your parents and just um, your parents' role in this whole process. Yeah, they honestly have been incredible. Um, that's not to say that it's, it's been easy for them. Sure. But uh, I mean, for the first eight years, like I said, I told them, yep, I'm going to marry a girl. Like, I'm going to do this. Parents active LDS. Parents are active LDS. Um, they're... Yeah. Uh, my mom joined the church when she was eight years old. My dad goes back for generations on his side, you know? Um, and I, um, I always like kept my parents very involved, maybe sometimes to a fault <laughs> with this journey. And I would tell them everything. And cause I thought if I was ever going to have kids that I want an open relationship with them. And so I need to be that for my parents. Credit to you. Um, and so I would always tell my parents every single little thing that would, was going on. And gosh, they, 
They dealt with all my ups and my downs, and they just stayed consistent through all of it, which was a miracle and a test to their character. Um, after eight years, though, of me kind of like telling this narrative of like, yeah, I'm going to marry a girl. Like, I'm going to be this like super perfect active person in the church the rest of my life, you know, and going to give you seven grandkids. <laughs> um, I when I started dating guys, they they saw that I was really struggling inside and they saw me go through those periods of really like low depression and sadness. And I think they felt helpless. Like they couldn't do anything because I also was distancing myself from them. Um, and so even though they're really aware at all times of like what was happening, it wasn't until, um, probably May of this year. So just a couple months ago, so May of 2020, that I think we, we, we kind of like came to a, a place together and I expressed to them, I kind of like everything that I had experienced the past few years, even though they were there with me, I sort of just like re came out to my parents of like, this is where I'm at and this is what I feel. And that unified us in a lot of ways because I told them, yeah, I, I don't see marrying a man is throwing up a white flag, but I feel like there's a, a pathway forward that's opportunistic. And that for some reason I was born at this time and I am gay and I've had the experiences in my life that have warranted me to, um, still love my savior and my heavenly father. And so for whatever reason, I, I'm here now and I have all these things and I don't have all the answers. So I need to start taking steps forward. And I think consecration is obviously something that we focus on a lot in the church. And I, I kind of realized this year, just a couple months ago that maybe consecration in my life looks a little bit different. And, um, that just because I'm dating a man or marrying a man doesn't mean that I can't give my life to the savior and to my heavenly father. Um, it just might look different than what we initially expect. And so I think they, they kind of saw where I was at a little bit more and, um, they've just been awesome. I think I was kind of bitter for a little bit and I was not the most kind and friendly <laughs> son for a while and bless their souls because they, they just put up with a lot. Um, but I, they were always supportive of me in whatever my decision was. And I was, and they never told me what to do. And I think that if for any parents that might be listening, I think that's really important that your child just needs to feel that love and to feel that support. Um, it's a really scary path because we are alone. Like you said, there's no manuals to this. And looking at your parents, you're like, well, you guys don't know. You, you obviously are living a life that I can't live. Um, and so now I, I am fortunate to have a really close relationship with my parents. And there's still things that are difficult and we have to navigate conversations and I have to learn to be more tactful all the time. And, um, but I think that's part of our, our necessary experience as children of God is to learn to love each other when we really don't actually understand exactly what the other person is knowing or feeling. If your parents are listening, great job. You don't have an owner's manual either. <laughs> and I just sensed one of the core principles that's going on here is there's been communication but often that communication, a parents can only do so much. It, 
you know, it, it did take your effort to come out to your parents and you'd been out, but to sort of say, I just don't think my path is going to be able to marry a woman. It's like Sean McIntosh in the church's video with Becky and, and her husband talking, Sean just said, I've dated women. I just don't think that's going to be my path. And, and then their parents kind of provided a safety net or got on team Sean, just like your parents are on team Jeff. Um, talk about, I had a question, let's see if I can find it back in my brain. Um, talk about, um, are you angry at the church that that you don't have a path to fully participate and it's not within your control to, and maybe it would be if you felt like you could marry a woman. Talk about just the pain you have towards the church. Yeah, I think, um, again, I... I know I can only speak for myself in this context. Um, and the experience that I've had is not necessarily going to be the same experience that everyone has had. And I think that's one of the great things about your podcast is you're, you're showing that there's a lot of different experiences that people have. So for me, I don't actually feel a lot of anger towards the church. Um, I was really lucky on my mission, like I said, to have a mission president that helped me separate um, church policy with, from church doctrine. And my relationship with God and the, my ability to have personal revelation was not um, necessarily like dictated by my relationship with church with the church, and I I sort of view the church um, a lot like I view us as this growing organism, and it makes a lot of changes. And yes, it is it is the Lord's church, but it's an institution that is run by men. And there are mistakes that are going to be made. And I think we have to warrant that in the church, similar to how we expect to warrant that for each other and how we expect people to warrant that for ourselves, is that there's going to be mistakes that are made and there's things that we don't know and we're going to learn and we're just going to do our best. And so um, there's a lot of, there's constant change in policy in the church. Um, And I expect there will continue to be change. Um, but I can't also anchor my hope and joy in life to the policies of the church. Because if I do that, then with every single little change, then I'm just going to be like tossed to and fro, basically. If it's a policy in my favor, I'll be on cloud nine. And if it's a policy against me, then, well, I'm going to be devastated and crushed and atheist, you know? And like, um, so I've had to just sort of put the church in um, kind of a space that or I guess in a, in a box that is manageable for my emotions. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, ultimately I, I view the church as this vehicle and it's warranted me the most incredible thing in my life, which is my relationship with God and the savior, because that's the thing that saved me. And that's the thing that keeps me going and has given me hope and lasting self and a lasting desire for salvation eventually, you know? And so I, I feel like I can't harbor any anger towards the church because without the church, then I wouldn't have this relationship with God, or at least this desire to have a relationship with God. And I probably wouldn't be here today. It's a really thoughtful answer and very mature answer. And I like the way you also create space for people that have had different experiences. And just that is one of the things of these podcasts is we want to share everybody's experience. And I do... I do hope, you know, that as we, 
it doesn't cost us anything to say kind things about LGBTQ people, even those that feel their path is outside the church. To me, that is more likely or to meant people that or to help people have kind feelings about the church if we don't sort of make you the poster boy now for what's wrong in the world and what's wrong in the church. Because here you're, you're the same person, Jeff. And I hope our listeners can just feel your goodness and your spirit and your desire to stay close with God and access the atonement and, and help people in your life. You're the same person. And our doctrine to me is just to show love and kindness and empathize with your situation and leave any judgment to our Savior hmm. and His perfect understanding. And to me, it doesn't cost me anything. And I just recognize you face impossibilities that I never faced when I was your age. And so I'll just leave that at the Savior's feet. And I, But I recognize if we can if we improve as a church and I, and before we went live, you've talked about great church leaders. Um, and I think sometimes our experiences with church leaders, and you could chime in on your experiences at mm. BYU with your YSA bishops help, you know, if someone does feel their path is to step away from fully participating, they, it helps them to feel better as they, you know, so talk or stay longer <laughs> or stay forever <laughs> Talk about some of the things your church leaders at BYU have done that have been helpful. Yeah, I think um, – so I had I, I came out to two of my bishops and one of my stake presidents at BYU. And I was just so grateful and honestly lucky because I've heard um, a lot of people's experiences that weren't as nearly as positive as mine. And I, I feel for those individuals. Um uh, but I was really lucky to have three really incredible men that um, I think just saw me for who I was as a child of God. And they helped, they recognized that I wasn't actually in a position where I was like, this is what I'm doing. These are the next steps. And this is my life for the next little bit, you know, um, which I think maybe for those that were, are, were in a similar position as, as I was of kind of trying to figure out and navigate this path and, just so you know, I, I'm still navigating things. I'm not at some like pinnacle or I've reached some position of like finality with this, but, um, recognize that you don't have all the answers and you don't have to have all the answers. And so, yeah, go talk to your Bishop if you want to. Um, but allow yourself to make your own decisions as well. And that was really awesome that my, both of my bishops and the state president that I had talked to, they never like, like my parents, they never told me, okay, well you have to do these things. It's like, well, what do you want, Jeff? And I'll help you get there, but I'm not going to tell you where you have to go. Um, and that was hard because it, it put a lot on me. Um, and I couldn't just go to someone and have them give me like the formula and the answers to, of how my pathway forward should be. Um, but it was really rewarding and looking back so wonderful of those of those leaders of mine because they validated my decisions and then they just made sure to be there with me in whatever stage I was going in whatever direction I was going. Um, and that I think endeared me to the church a little bit more because I felt like I could just talk openly about what I was feeling, even though none of them were experts in the field. Um, it just, there was a space where I felt validated and that someone was just with me. And so that that was kind of my experience with the church leaders that I had at BYU. I like that. And I'm thinking back when I was the YSA Bishop, I had a couple gay men and 
I just felt my job was to sort of get on their road and do a lot of listening mm. to understand their story. And then I let them, I'd always invite them to follow the teachings of the church. Everything good in my life came from teachings of the church. But I'd, I'd let them self-determine a little bit their road because I felt that's part of mortality. And I would sort of walk that road with them as a trusted adult. So some that I met with that weren't gay, just not active, you know, they didn't want to fully participate in the church, but they had personal goals that they wanted to accomplish yeah, or things they were trying to put behind them. And I just said, I'll walk with you. How can I help you be the better person that you want to be? Sometimes that ended up be, um, returning to fully church, full church activity. It wasn't a BYU ward, so I didn't have, you know, I had a lot more non-active kids yeah. um, YSAs, but I just felt that was a principle of ministering. So I think your leaders are, some would say, well, they're not standing up for the doctrine of the church and they're not standing for truth if they're letting you sort of self-determine your life. But I think they are. I think you know what the teachings of the church are. You've taught them for two years. You're deeply familiar with them. You've seen many people's lives best blessed through the teachings of the church. But I think it's fine for the gym to just give you the benefit that you know that and just sort of try to understand your heart and your goodness and I think to trust you mm. and, yeah. and just to say I trust you Jeff to know what's best for your life and I'm going to walk with you is that okay yeah I think that's great because I think I was looking for like the hey what's the five minute answer like give me the answer right now I'm I'm probably one of the most impatient people <laughs> there are in the world um, but I think they just had the foresight to see like this is not a quick fix or anything like that. We don't have the answers. And so I think they just allowed me to go through this journey and to walk down this pathway. Um, because I think they, they saw that if they would have interceded and tried to like put me into a mold and like, you know, like contain me and like say, Oh, well, if you do these things, these things and the gay will be eradicated. Like, I don't think that would have worked. And that probably would have driven me away from the church a number of years ago. Um, but I think you, you, um, I think that's really awesome what you would do as a bishop. And, um, I think that just warranting people the ability to choose is, I think one of the most divine things that we can do because that's what God does for us. He gives us our agency and I have recognized that our agency is the most powerful thing. Um, we can't have faith unless we're choosing something. Right. And, I, I feel like I was in limbo for so long and I had no idea where to go. And I was like, Hey God, just kind of like, give me, give me the answers. Give me the pathway I need to walk down and I'll, I'll run down it. But he never did that. <laughs> and, um, every time I would pray saying like, just tell me where to go. He would always respond either then or in some way because revelation comes in a lot of different ways that I just needed to make a choice. And for a long time I thought, Oh, well then that choice is marry a man or marry a woman. But then I realized, no, no, no. I don't, I don't think God was saying you need to choose to either marry a man or a woman. God was saying you need to like accept yourself, choose a pathway and then walk down it because I can't make you choose anything. And once I got to that point of being able to choose sort of like who I am and who I want to be and who 
I was in God's eyes and identify with that and like how he saw me, that's when I started to feel this like motivation to move forward. And I started to feel hope come back into my life. Um, but I would not have had that if my church leaders didn't warrant me that space to make those decisions. Um, I wouldn't have had that if my friends didn't warrant me that space or my parents didn't warrant me that space. I don't know why I was so lucky to have all these people that didn't have the answers <laughs> in my life, but I'm grateful for that because now every decision that I make is my own. And um, since there is no exact right answer, it allows me room for error too and making mistakes and realizing, okay, maybe that's not the direction I want to take exactly. And I can actually forge my own life and kind of figure out who, who I want to be and who God wants to, me to be and not who I think I should be or who God thinks I should be. I love that segment. Talk about why you came out publicly in late July or just um, you did come out publicly and, and maybe talk about why and, and the responses as you went and broadened your circle. Yeah, I, so I came out publicly on social media in uh, late July of 2020. Um, I had been, at that point I was in my second more like serious relationship with a man and we decided that we wanted to come out on social media together. And that was never initially like something I, I considered doing or thought I wanted to do. But, um, I was so grateful I did. Um, at that point, the people that I, that were most close to me knew that I was gay because I made a point to tell them, um, in your coming out process, uh, you, you really can use it to an advantage of mending and rekindling some relationships that maybe you've shut out. Um, I was so amazed by how many people just warranted their love and their support. Um, and I made a point to tell people personally, um, before I came out on social media, at least the people that, that I, I knew I had either burned a bridge with, or I, I just really wanted them to know from me where I was at. And then I, I posted on social media and gosh, I can't tell you about the response that I got. It was just, it was too much to handle of like love and support. I didn't know it was part of like the community's like MO to, to, to rush in with love and, and eagerness and support when someone comes out, because I had always avoided it. If someone came out, I just like dissociated myself with them because I didn't want to be known as associating with another gay, um, you know, cause that, that fear that, Oh, maybe they'll find out that I'm gay too. Um, but I was just so overwhelmed and, um, coming out doesn't necessarily fix all your problems and it doesn't take away everything. If anything, it brings a lot of your problems to the surface. Um, but it was, it's been such an incredible step that I, I was really lucky to take, um, that I wouldn't have ever taken if I wasn't in a relationship that I wanted to, um, I guess like express, and if I hadn't felt or been already carried sort of by that net or caught by that net of that awesome support group already. Um, so it just kind of made sense to come out at that time. And um, I was comfortable with who I was. I was already telling people. And so I figured, okay, well, I might as well just kind of get this over with. And um, How did your parents uh, respond to you coming out? That is an excellent question. Um, we, I was actually kind of scared. 
And so I didn't actually talk to them for a couple of days. And um, later that week, I went up to their house and we just had a conversation. And it was just filled with a lot of kind of listening and understanding um, or, or recognizing that there's things that we don't understand. And it was a lot to take in for them, I think, because when you have a child that comes out, I can't speak for my parents exactly because I don't have any children, but you sacrifice your life for your kids. And I know my parents would, and they have basically. And so for your child to make some sort of public display, that's maybe a little bit contrary to what you've been, um, at least telling everyone about your child, that's gotta be a little bit scary. And my parents, they never told anyone that I was gay because they wanted to protect me and they were, they really honored my desire to be closeted, I guess. Um, but then, um, I, my parents, I think have just responded with just like courage and optimism because they had lots of their friends then reach out to them and ask them questions. And I'm just grateful because they've, they've approached this a whole situation in this environment with such grace intact. And I think an attitude of recognizing that we don't have all the answers and that's been really reassuring for me of their love. So thanks for answering that question. Um, you're doing a great job. Sometimes I've, and maybe this is true with your parents, they've been carrying this alone for so long. I'm in a Facebook group with LDS parents of LGBTQ, and one of the themes of that is often they're nervous about joining the group because others might that they know in their community might be in there. But it's a it's can be hard for parents to not be able to share and process this with other parents, or it's just and so sometimes those coming out posts allow just like you mentioned your parents to connect with others in their community. Mm-hmm. Um, peers their age, close friends, and just invite them in to the circle of what's going on in our home. And it sometimes is very helpful for parents. That can be scary at first if a parent's just coming to terms of an LGBTQ child, but in your case, your parents are aware of, of you for quite a while. So that's just part of your journey. Um, we're coming to the end of the podcast. I I wrote down something you said ahead of t- before we started, um, and I just want to ask you this question, plus anything else you want to share, Jeff. But you talked about some of your favorite aspects of the gospel. Do you want to share with our listeners some of those? Yeah. Um, I think, well, first and foremost, like I said earlier, um, God and the Savior, they're not just good ideas but they are real people and they're tangible beings and they know us each by name. The plan of salvation that they have outlined for us is I think the most beautiful doctrine. The plan of salvation to me isn't, Hey, man, a marry woman B or whatever, you know, and go have kids. Um, The plan of salvation is really a roadmap of how we can become like our savior and ultimately our heavenly father. And it answers questions that nowhere else even comes close to answering. And it's helped me realize that this experience, 
our time here on earth is so valuable. And there's a lot that happened before we came here. And God knew well before I did that I would come to earth and experience all these things. If he's omniscient, then he knew those things, right? And there's also a huge chunk of time after this life. And I have no idea what that's exactly like. And there's very little revelation on exactly what that looks like. There's a lot of symbolism and uh, rhetoric around it, but we don't know a lot. And that has given me hope and realizing like, yeah, I think it's important to focus on the eternal decisions. But if I can't live my life and if I'm not being Christ-like now, then eternity won't really matter in the end. And so the plan of salvation honestly has been, I think, one of my favorite aspects of the gospel. And it just reaffirms me in my identity and knowing that, hey, I was like, I was born <laughs> all of me and like, this is me. And for whatever reason, I am the way I am and I am gay. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that I'm not a child of God. That doesn't mean that I now cannot or am not worthy of, cannot have or am not worthy of his love. Um, and so I think you said, talk about a couple principles. I think that's obviously the most fundamental principle in my mind and my heart that has been the catalyst to keep my relationship with God and the Savior growing. Um, and I think then how that has happened or how it continues to grow is by having faith and utilizing my agency. Um, we don't have answers. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so the only way that I can find genuine hope is allowing those unknowns to be present in my life and just trusting in my savior and his atonement that it is the ultimate net and that it will catch us and that there are no limitations on that. It really is infinite. It's infinitely below us and it will raise us to infinite heights. And until we choose God and choose the Savior by accepting faith, then we can't walk the steps of the plan that they have outlined before us. And sometimes those, that pathway might look different and it might not appear as how we expected when we were 16 years old in a seminary class. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. And for those that might be struggling right now as either a high school or a junior high student, or even maybe elementary, because by only God knows that you sometimes know at a really young age that you're different. Um, you're not void or you're not discredited from having hope and realizing the fullness of the blessings of the gospel. In second Peter talks about how those that are, patient and kind and embrace um, brotherly love and temperance and uh, meekness that those are the individuals and the saints that will have their calling and election made sure and that there is no limitation on the blessings that they can obtain and so though we don't have the answers for what is to come in this life i'm so convinced that as we choose our savior and choose to walk a path that 
warrants us to become like him, then we can have a full measure of joy in this life and in the life to come. It's a great testimony of the gospel. Um, sure feel the spirit of when you talk, Jeff. I'm, I've been thinking a lot about Satan's role and who I believe is real, and I think I don't believe Satan, God gave Satan the ability to deceive someone in, or to make someone gay. Um, I just don't think God gave Satan the ability to make someone left-handed or right-handed mm. or to change their eye color. Um, but I do believe God gave Satan the ability to cause you to believe lies that you're not worthy of God's love mm-hmm. or that someone like you that has, you know, that's gay is, is, not, is not created the way they were supposed to be created or not worthy of God's love. And so I think Satan resides in shame. Yeah. And he wants, and he did that for you. He separated you to some extent. And I think that's where Satan wins is his, does his ability to separate you from God and the atonement and to feel their love or to think someone like you is not worthy of their love. And, and when you hear messages in society about people like you, and sometimes those messages are at church culturally, then it's hard to believe sometimes that I'm worthy of love or God would love somebody. So I think an improvement in society in our church is saying kind things about people like you because I think that helps you not to believe the lie that Satan is sending you that you're not worthy yeah. of God's love. So when I hear you talk, I just recognize Satan is not winning with you <laughs> um, because he's not separating you from God. And I'm in a, and I, that, to me, that's going to result in your life being much, much better than it would be if you went, you know, went down this road of non-belief. And there's lots of different, and so I just give you credit for that. And um, and I'll just turn it back to you for any closing thoughts or anything you want to add to that. If I may just build off that really quick and then wrap, we'll wrap things up. But yeah, I think Satan, he just really wants to keep us in limbo. I don't think he cares where we end up in this life just as long as it's not with God, you know? And so if he can keep us as like stationary as possible, then he's winning. Right. Um, and that's why I think agency is so powerful and God has given us that. And simply by making choices, God can work with something at that point. And God's always going to respect that. Satan will try and take that away. Right. Um, and you, you had asked me before um, we, we went live, you know, where, uh, kind of like, where do I see myself in the church and in my future? And I don't necessarily have an exact answer. Um, but to your point of how Satan wants to separate us from God, um, it's my desire to never leave that relationship or leave that space with God. I don't know what it will look like for me in the church. I don't have those answers, but I'm okay with the fact that my pathway might be a little bit different. It might guide me out of the church and for a chunk or a portion or most of my life. But I think ultimately those that are in the LGBTQ community just need to recognize that God still loves them and that it's always worthwhile 
to choose God. And so I, I guess I kind of wanted to just add that. Um, there's, I'm going to just refer back to the table of contents of the book because so many things Jeff has touched on. Um, chapter 7, chapter 6 in the book is the role of the atonement of Jesus Christ and many LGBTQ Latter-day Saints share very similar words to Jeff, um, including parents also that talk about this, the role of the atonement. Chapter 7 is ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. That's the most important chapter for local leaders that I've written, and Jeff's got local leaders that have done a great job. Chapter 9 is potential paths for LG, le- lesbian, and gay Latter-day Saints, and it's just real. It's just illustrating these paths that Jeff's talk about. Chapter ten is when a family member leaves the church. What do we do um, in that situation? So, just complicated topics that we're talking about this podcast in the book. I want to go back to. I used to look at the Tanner Building mm. as a business student, and that b- building. As I went, I'm just thinking of the hope. My motivation that became reality was my wife. Mm. And we have six kids. We have a son being married this weekend. But it will be, a, you know, when the podcast's out, he'll be married. And all the hope, I, all the fuel for my desire to get good grades, which for me actually is pretty hard to get good grades. I have for the proud owner of an a, 18 on my ACT test, and it just was very difficult for me to get good grades. But... That building for me represents my BY experience, mm. and 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 it represented hope because everything I was doing at that building was for this future outcome that was within my control, and uh, and that dream has become reality. But you looked at that your building. <laughs> um, I want you to go back to that building and talk to yourself now. If you could go back and talk to yourself, I think it's October of 2019 Mm -hmm. 2018 2018 so that's almost two years ago what would you say to yourself now and i can't remember the name of the building you've got to get the name in there for our listeners Uh, that know that building so it was the lsb or the life science building which wasn't my building mine was the the new engineering building which was just up or the clyde building which was okay terrible but you maybe remember that from byu um what would i tell myself i you know We've talked about a lot of awesome things, I think, tonight. And your book, I'm so excited to read it, by the way. Um, And you're right. There's a lot of complications and really tough things about being a gay member of the church and reconciling your faith and your sexuality. Um, But I would actually tell myself to relax and to laugh a little bit more. Um that first best friend that I uh, told that I was gay, I I spent about two hours, you know, pouring out this story and he just sat inside. He just sat and listened. And right after, you know, he just asked me some of the most bizarre and silly questions. I'm like, I'm pouring my soul out to you. And these are the things that you're, you're concerned about. And I laughed that night. He laughed. I had never laughed about my situation, but there is a lot of humor in this and humor is a divine quality. And so I think I would have gone back and told myself, just keep your chin up, smile and just laugh because life 
it's funny. And if you can learn to laugh and accept the circumstances as weird and crazy and silly as they may be, then I think that's how you start to invite joy and a little bit more realism into your life. That's great. We'll end with that. Um, Jeff Derricott, if I said your name right twice yep. in a row, um, thank you for joining us. On behalf of all of our listeners, there are listeners who have significantly moved on this issue because of you. Um, LGBTQ members that have uh, more hope and more direction and those of us that are trying to as active Latter-day Saints better meet your needs and bear more in comfort, which is part of our baptism covenants. You've given us insights into how that do that better. So thank you, Jeff, and thank our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>